Welcome back to Sworn Testimonies. My name is Kiara, and this is a podcast where I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Today, I want to talk to you all about happiness. What does it mean to be happy? Is it even possible to be happy all the time? I had a friend the other day post a meme that basically said, our goal in life is to do things that make us happy and to stay away from things that don't make us happy and anything that does not make us happy should not be something that we engage in. And I thought it was so interesting because I actually wholeheartedly disagree with that statement. I don't think it's possible to be happy all the time. Happiness is an emotion. It goes up and down and it's often dictated by our circumstances. And I think trying to live a life where you are happy all the time will lead you to probably a place that's not healthy, potentially reckless, and dangerous. Sometimes the things that make us happy aren't exactly good for us, right? Like, I don't necessarily like eating vegetables and working out. Those things don't make me happy, but I do them because they bring me joy. And I think joy is something different but similar to happiness. They're in the same family. I think a lot of times they're both associated with positive feelings, but joy is an attitude that exists in spite of circumstance. In my opinion, joy is the process of doing something purposeful. It's all in the process. You might not always be happy throughout the process, but it doesn't mean you don't have joy, and it's actually joy that we should be seeking, not this everlasting feeling of happiness, which in my opinion is a fairy tale. So for example, I'm writing a book right now. Writing a book is a lot of work. Do I always want to stay up at 2 a.m. revising and editing pieces of what I've written? No, I don't like to revise. I don't like to edit. It's a lot of work for me. Do I like to sit down and think through my characters and plot lines? Not really. I prefer to jump right in. Not every piece of the process makes me happy. Sometimes I'm frustrated, sometimes I'm angry, sometimes I'm annoyed, sometimes I'm bored, but the process brings me joy. It's something that I love to do when you look at the process overall. When I go to sleep at night, I think, man, I'm so glad I spent my day working on that book. Whereas with a lot of things, you might not be happy, and then at the end of the day, you also don't have joy. So it's important to note the distinction between joy and happiness. So maybe you buy into what I'm saying about joy. You know, I agree with you, Kiki. Joy is what we should be striving for, not necessarily happiness. How do I get there? I believe that it's possible. I believe that it's learned. I feel like I've come to a place in my life where not that I always do it well, but I know how to do it, which is important. I actually have a tattoo on my arm that says, no matter what. And for me, that's because, you know, I'm big on conviction. I'm big on, you know, sticking to things and doing what I said I'm going to do. And I find a lot of peace in the fact that I might not always be happy, but no matter what, I can choose joy. No matter what, I know I'm going to be okay. No matter what, I can choose to look at the bright side of the situation. It's all about perspective. And that's actually very comforting to me. Our brain fights joy like it's a bad guy, and I'm not sure why. Even for myself, when I do have a feeling of being sad or anxious or upset, 
as soon as I give myself the the space to think about something that would bring me joy, so I'll add a little bit of context to that. Let's say I'm really sad because uh, I was supposed to hang out with a friend and that friend canceled and I'm feeling frustrated and a little bit ditched, maybe unimportant, questioning our friendship. It's it, I can say to myself, okay, on the bright side, now you have all this unexpected free time. You have so many things that you need to do. You can use this free time to do something positive. You know, also you can bring it up to your friend if it's really bothering you. You can choose to see the best in that person. And as soon as I try to switch the situation around in my head, man, that ego fights back like, but wait a second. We're not talking about the fact that you can do great things with this new time that you have. We're talking about the fact that your friend ditched you. How does it make you feel? And when I tell you my negative emotions fight joy so hard, it's a battle for me to choose joy. So I've had to come up with kind of a three-step process that's allowed me to do that when it gets difficult, and I hope that it will help you as well. So it's not complicated. I'm going to tell you all three steps right up front, and then I'll go through a little bit of each. Radical honesty, radical acceptance, and radical action. One, two, three. Super simple. Honesty, acceptance, action. We're going to start with honesty. So it might sound like, duh, of course I know I need to be honest. Why are you telling me something I already know? I want to challenge that and ask you if it's really something that you already know. I think it's so important for us to tell the truth. And when we think about honesty, a lot of times we think about being honest with other people, but we really need to learn how to be honest with ourselves. We have to tell the truth about where we're at, how we're feeling, and what's going on because you can't fix something that you won't even admit is broken. And in my experience, people are so afraid of the truth. They run from it. If you bring it up, they get really angry or what people like to call defensive. And we know that being in relationships, it's almost impossible if you don't trust the other person, right? Like nobody has time to be checking somebody's phone and seeing where they've been and stalking their Instagram to see who's commenting on what. That's exhausting. And I think that for the most part, we've accepted in society that if you can't trust someone, you probably shouldn't be in a relationship. But if you're not honest with yourself, and you can't trust yourself, how can you expect to have a healthy relationship with yourself? So if you know me, you know that honesty and transparency, they are some of my highest, highest values. When I was a little girl, I would say about five or six, I remember stealing my dad's gold watch and hiding it in a linen closet in the hallway. Why did I do this? I don't know. I like gold, sparkly, shiny things. Maybe that was a reason. Maybe I had a deeper reason at the time. I can't give you one, but I stole it and I hid it. My dad asked me about that watch and he asked me if I took it or if I knew where it was because he couldn't find it anywhere and or he couldn't find it anywhere. And what did I say? I don't know. And he was like, are you sure you don't know where it is? And I was like, yep. And he was like, I'm going to ask you again. Did you take my watch? And I looked at him and was like, nope, I straight up lied. And I can't remember exactly what happened or if he knew that I actually hid the watch or if he convinced me to go get it. And we had a conversation after and he was like, listen, I will always support you. I will always love you. And I will never get angry at you for telling me the truth. 
But if you lie to me and I can't trust you, then we don't have a relationship. And that makes me angry. And that moment like, is ingrained in the back of my mind, the importance of honesty and being honest in relationship. I, it's, it's super important to me and learning how to apply that, not just in how we interact with other people, but in how we have conversations with ourselves can be life-changing. So how does this apply to you? You might be in a situation where you don't like your job and you have no problem complaining about it, but you will not admit to yourself that you feel like you picked the wrong career. Because if you admit that to yourself, then you have to deal with the aftermath. So it's much, it's much better to just pretend that you've picked the right career and that you're just complaining because everybody complains about their job and everybody hates their job. And it's just a part of what it means to be a contributing member of society. You tell yourself all of these narratives and these lies that absolutely are not true and you refuse to accept the truth, which is you feel like you made a bad decision when it came time to choosing a career. Look, most of us, when we graduate college, we are 21, 22, maybe 23. We don't know anything yet about the world. We think we know everything. Why should we be expected to know what we want to do for the rest of our lives when we've been exposed to so little? It's okay not to make the right decision. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to choose careers you know, that you think you're going to like and then you get into it and you realize you don't, that just makes you human. It's okay to be something at 20 and to be something else at 30 and to be something else at 40 and to be something else at 50, 60, 70. It doesn't make you a failure. It doesn't make you a weirdo, but you have to be okay with accepting that truth. Another thing that I had to come to terms with is my anxiety. I was told for a while that uh, people would say that they thought I had anxiety issues. And when I say people, I mean people close to me, like my mother and my grandfather. I remember like frantically running around the house one day because I couldn't find something, just being really erratic. And it wasn't even anything that important. I just get really stressed out when there's something in the house that I really want and I don't know where it is. Like I can't think about anything else. I can't focus. I can't find perspective. And my grandfather was like, oh, you have issues with anxiety have you and I just didn't want to hear it I was like no I don't I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I kept telling myself that part of the reason is because I didn't want to take medication it got to the point where I went to the doctor I got prescribed anxiety medication and decided on my own that the doctor misdiagnosed me and I didn't need it what happened after that I was an anxious mess guess what as soon as I accepted the truth you know what I have an issue with anxiety and I allowed myself to receive that truth, I could then move forward and take the steps that I needed to make in order to fix the problem. Living in some sort of denial, we play tricks on ourselves thinking that it's actually going to lead us to this better, happier life and existence, but it doesn't, you know? that's that It doesn't help you to be in denial about who you are and what's really going on. People struggle admitting to themselves that they have drinking problems. We struggle with our relationship decisions. We choose to date people or entertain people who are not in line with our values, who are not giving us what we actually want. We're afraid to ask for what we want. We don't want to admit that the person we're with is somebody that's, you know, we're dating not in line with our values and what we, and when I say in line with our values, if you're someone who, like myself, is committed to honesty and integrity 
and compassion and storytelling and all these things that I, you know, loving other people, treating people with respect. If I really feel like that, and these are things that I hold very highly and I'm dating somebody who doesn't respect those things or who doesn't have those same values and we're clashing, you might be afraid to break up with that person or to walk away because you're afraid of being lonely. But guess what? You will only get in this life what you believe that you should get. You're only going to receive what you think you're worth receiving. So if you think that you're unworthy of being in a relationship that's in line with your values, you won't ever be in a relationship that's in line with your values. So this first part of learning to tell ourselves the truth is so important and it's definitely something that comes with practice and it's not anything that I can do for you. I can't even tell you how to be honest. I can only tell you that it is a process and it's something that takes a lot of work and a lot of being really conscious. I think one of the things that helps me is asking myself questions every time I make a statement. So if I say, you know, back to the career thing, I went to law school and you know, it's been hard and I might not like my job, but I'm really happy with the career I chose. Ask my, I start asking myself the questions. Why do you say that you're happy with the career that you chose? Do your daily actions and the things that you talk about on a daily basis, do they line up with that? If someone were to listen in on your conversations about how you talk about work, would they agree with you that you're happy with the career you chose? Are there other people that you're influencing or that are influencing your thought? Are you answering that question to make them believe something or are you trying to convince yourself? And by just giving myself a hard time putting myself on the stand on trial, since this is sworn testimonies, by putting myself on trial, it really forces me to come to terms with the things that I'm saying and to not rely just on narratives that I've been telling myself that may or may not be true. So the next step is radical acceptance. It's one thing to be honest with yourself about something. It's a completely different thing to accept the truth. There are a lot of truths that we come to and then we so quickly sweep them under the rug because we don't want to deal with them. So my brother is the king of acceptance. I remember one time when we were little kids, we were at my grandmother's house and there was a woman who used to watch us there named Miss Hammond. Now, Mrs. Hammond, one of my grandmother's friends, was really old, okay? She used to watch my mom and her little sisters when they were younger, and she was old back then. So you can only imagine how old she was by the time she was watching us. She was in a wheelchair. She couldn't really get around. She was a really sweet, okay, sworn testimonies. She wasn't very sweet. Rest in peace, Miss Hammond. Uh, but she was a very intelligent woman. I can say that. That's a positive thing. I feel like you're not supposed to say bad things about people who have passed. She was a very intelligent, passionate woman in a wheelchair who chased us around with the belt. And obviously, we were little kids and we would outrun her. And poor thing. I I'm sure we gave her the hardest time because we were not the easiest children to watch either. We had so much energy. There was one time in particular, I can't remember exactly what my brother did. I'm sure it was something that just drove her crazy. And again, don't judge, okay? She was a little older. As his punishment, she obviously couldn't really spank us because, you know, the, be the belt she just carried, I don't know why it was supposed to, like, scare us or something, but she couldn't really, like, use it at that time. But she would carry the belt, and as a punishment, she put him in the closet, and she told him to sit there for 10 minutes. So 10 minutes goes by. She opens the closet, and she's like, well, 
Sanford, Jonathan, you can come out now. And he looked at this woman and was like, you know, it's really quiet in this closet. I think I'll stay. And she was like, huh? And, you know, I'm just quietly laughing at the background at my brother's genius. And he's like, I kind of like the closet. I think I'll stay. And he closed the closet door back and she did not know what to do. What did he do in that instance? My crazy little brother, he took the power over his situation and accepted where he was. He was like, you know, I'm in a closet. That's the truth of the situation. And I am going to accept and make the best of the situation. Obviously, I'm not telling you to lock yourself in a closet by any means, but I think it's a great example of how we can take a situation that we feel like has control over us and by accepting our circumstance, we can actually gain control over the situation. So admitting where we are is not enough, like I've said, and accepting takes admitting to another level. Let's talk about anxiety. I talked about... um, you know, not wanting to admit to myself that I had a problem. I still struggle to say it every time I say it. I'm like, uh, 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 I have an issue with anxiety. Part of accepting that was taking my medication every single day and not being ashamed to take my medication. This is something that I was born with. My mother has anxiety issues. It does not make me less of a person. In addition to telling myself and others the truth about that, I am going to accept that about myself and I am going to lean into the truth and do what I need to do by accepting the situation and taking my meds every single day. We can go back to talking about drinking, having a drinking problem. It's one thing to talk about you know, oh, I may or may not have a drinking problem. If you accept it, great. But to really honestly and radically accept that, if you know this about yourself and you're fully accepting it, your lifestyle might have to change a little bit. You might not be able to be out at the bar until 2 a.m. with everybody else. You probably shouldn't buy alcohol that you have lying around your house. It's a little bit further than just being honest about what's going on. It's really accepting the situation for what it is and learning to not necessarily just be okay with the situation, but not feeling like you need to be somebody else or have another narrative in order to find joy because that's where the comparison issues start to come in. Even if we are honest with ourselves about where we're at, if we don't radically accept where we are, it's so easy to look at somebody else's circumstance and be like, dang, well, if I had that situation, my life would be better. No, you are who you are and you have to accept who you are in your present. You know, I don't know if you've heard the saying about how looking to the past too much will lead to depression and looking to the future too much too much will lead to anxiety but the best place to find joy is in the truth of the current moment in the present and to radically accept what your present looks like. It's not something that we talk about often because so much of our culture is obsessed with dream chasing and going to the next level and achieving the next thing. And by telling somebody, I know some of your brains are probably pushing back like, well, I don't want to settle. I'm not telling you to settle. I'm not saying that by any means. And remember, we have we still have a whole extra step. But let's say you do decide that you want to change your situation. Just just being honest with yourself about 
what happens if you know I say that I want to move into this bigger nicer apartment by 2020 setting my 2020 goals and I don't actually get to move and I have to stay in this old rundown place that I've lived in for the last couple of years what if I what if I don't actually get to that place can I find joy am I going to punish myself by not allowing myself to be joyful until I reach that goal or get to that next thing that hedonistic cycle of you know, a new thing and a new thing and a new thing? Or can you radically accept where you are right now and find joy in the current moment? I'm telling you, it's counterintuitive and you would think that it would lead to settling, but settling comes from a completely different place. Settling, in my opinion, is also not really dealing with the truth because when you settle, you don't allow yourself to lean into the fact that you want more for yourself. So settling is still a denial of what's really going on inside. When you're honest with yourself about where you'd like to be, right, that goes back to being honest, but you're still radically accepting where you are now, there's so much joy in that space. And I promise you, if you try it, you will find some type of positive, joyful impact on your day. And this isn't just me giving my, you know, advice from my personal life. Yes, it is, but also it's scientifically proven. There are certain things that you can do, expressing gratitude, writing down one thing every single day that makes you happy, taking long walks and just spending time praying, talking to God, meditating about what you're grateful for and being really present. We talk a lot about being really present, but you might not know how to do that. And yes, meditation is a great way to get there, but really just radically accepting what's happening in the moment is the best and healthiest way to be present. So, you know, it's I'm making all this sound like it's really easy. Obviously, if it was that easy, we'd all be doing it. There are lots of things that I've had trouble accepting in my life. I remember when I first started working at Fox News, I worked as a production assistant on a brand new show called Media Buzz. And I am used to going into situations where I am very smart and I tend to jump in and be the leader and know what's going on and I'm well researched and I'm always at the top of my class and always done the best. And that had always pretty much been my experience growing up, right? So I go into my first day at Fox News feeling really cool because I was young and I got this awesome opportunity. I just applied online and I happened to get the job and I was just ready to kill it. I didn't know anything about production or news or working in television. The only thing I knew about TV at that time is that I liked it. So I go in for my first day and I'm a production assistant, did not know the first thing about, you know, my responsibilities and I was supposed to be printing the rundown. I had never heard of a rundown and making sure all of the correct people in the office, all of the producers and editors had a copy of the rundown. And I was supposed to be in charge of guest booking, making sure all of the guests on the show for this new show were there on time and in hair and makeup. What does on time mean in the entertainment industry? I didn't know anything. I knew nothing, y'all. But when I sat down, I still remember her name. When I sat down with my producer, Lexi Stemple, she asked me if I had any questions and I told her I was good because I thought I would be. I had always been good in the past. Let me tell you, that first day was a train wreck. The 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 rundown, which is basically, for those of you who don't work in entertainment, like a, 
a big play-by-play of what's going to happen in the television show. It tells you where you're going to take a break. It tells you who's coming in where. It's a playbook for those of you that, I don't know, watch sports. I know in sports they have like playbooks that tell the players where they need to be at any given time. That's basically the rundown. I was in charge of making sure there were no issues with the rundown. Well, guess what? There were lots of issues, and I just didn't even know what I didn't even know. So the rundown had issues. Not everybody who needed it got a copy because I didn't even know everybody that worked there who needed a copy. And then I forgot that I was in charge of guests. And by the time I remembered, I realized that we had one guest in particular who was like up first in the segment and he was supposed to be on in 10 minutes, but he hadn't arrived yet. And in my head, I'm like, cool, he still has 10 minutes to get there. When Lexi asked me, she cussed me out on spot. She was like 10 minutes. He should have been in hair and makeup 30 minutes ago. I didn't know he had to be in hair and makeup 45 minutes before he went on set. I He was a guy. I didn't even know guys went into hair and makeup. So then he gets there at the last minute and runs upstairs and he parks his car right in front of Fox News in D.C. And I don't, I don't know if they've moved buildings, but at the time, if you live in D.C., you know, you basically can't park your car anywhere. So Lexi, the producer, throws me his keys and she's like, he parked downstairs right in front of the building. He's not allowed to park there. I need you to go down. I need you to go downstairs and move his car. So I'm like sweating, stressed out. I had just got cussed out, didn't know what I was doing. Ran downstairs to get in this guy's car and move it. And of course, he drives stick shift. I can barely drive automatic, okay? I definitely don't know what I'm doing with a stick shift. So I sit there in the car and I look at the stick shift and I just start crying. I just started crying. I lost it. I remember calling my mom and I was like, I'm quitting. I'm done. I don't want to work in news. I don't want to work in television. This is too hard. So got myself together, went back upstairs, told them I couldn't move the car. At this point, I feel like, great, I'm worth nothing. I'm probably going to get fired anyway. Lexi ended up sitting down with me after, you know, that disastrous episode and she kind of apologized for talking to me the way that she did and then explained to me what I did wrong and then told me how to fix it next time. She explained what the rundown was, who needed a copy, what time people needed to get there, told me the process for moving forward if someone wasn't there on time. We had a great conversation and we had to move through it. But in order for me to even sit and have that conversation with her, like I very easily could have just been like, you know what, this isn't for me. I quit and left. I had to radically accept that I did not know what I was doing, that I was not the best in the room. As a matter of fact, I was probably at the bottom. Like, thank God I got that internship. I had no clue what I was doing and I had to be okay with that. So I couldn't even really learn or allow myself to receive or to grow in that moment if I didn't radically accept the fact that I I was lost and I wasn't the best and that was really hard for me. But really learning how to radically accept your situation, whatever that might be, whether you're dealing with a divorce or a sickness or something that might not seem fair, because sometimes the things that we're having to accept are not always our own doing, right? Like there are things that we do that contribute to the situations that we're in. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so broke. Well, girl, you were shopping every day last week. What did you expect was going to happen? Some magic fairy was going to put money in your account? I don't know if you have it like that. I don't have it like that. So sometimes it's our own doing. But sometimes there are reasons that we go through things and we don't understand. I think a lot of the times the hard things that we go through are so that we can help somebody else get through them. I know for me, pretty much everything that I've struggled with, 
I've been so grateful to have those opportunities. And of course, in the moment, I'm never like, oh, thank you, God, for this terrible work experience. Thank you for me getting cussed out. Thank you for all these hard times. It's hard for me to say that in the moment. I definitely wasn't saying that in my early 20s. I try to do it a little bit more now because I realized not only did I grow in those experiences, I've had the opportunity to pour into so many young people who have had really tough and difficult first days because I think our generation in general, there's a lot of trauma that we have it, that we don't have to deal with when we're younger. We are raised in spaces where we're coddled, we're taken care of, we're told we're special, we're important, we can do anything, it's always gonna work out. And then we get into the world and it doesn't always work the way that we were told it was gonna work. We're like, true love conquers everything. And if you love yourself and everybody else, it's gonna be great. And if you try your best, you can do anything. And then things don't happen and they fall apart and we don't know how to cope. So I was able or have been able to share my hard times and my experiences with people who were going through it. And for me, that's so vindicating and it makes those situations feel, you know, so purposeful. And it's allowed me to build up a lot of emotional resistance. And it's given me the ability to now sit in meetings, to have difficult conversations, to not be afraid, to not be afraid of be telling people when I don't know something and not feeling like I'm gonna look silly or stupid or be judged on the other side. I'm not afraid to ask questions and it's made me a better person. So all of that to say, radical acceptance of your situation and where you're at can really lead to a lot of growth and on the other side of growth, a lot of joy long-term. So the last piece of this, we talked about radical honesty and radical acceptance. The next piece is radical action. I was raised to fix problems when they existed. I can remember being maybe five or six years old and waking up in the morning and, you know, because little kids like to wake up at like 6 a.m. for no reason other than to just watch cartoons and just like be awake. So waking up at like 6 a.m. and going to my mom and being like, I'm hungry. Now, for those of you that don't know, my mom is a doctor. She had me when she was 19, so I basically went through med school with her. And a lot of my childhood was her either in med school or in residency. And residency is crazy, y'all. They work all the time. They're on call all the time. If you have any doctors or residents specifically in your life, just give them a hug and say thank you and be kind to them because it's not easy. It is not easy to be taking care of other people all day, every day, and be expected to also, you know, take care of yourself. And residents, you know, we think about doctors being paid well. Residents are not paid well, y'all. I don't know what you think they're making, but anyway, that's a little side note, having doctors in my family. But my mom was a resident, and I remember being so little, and, well, I guess she was in, at this time, she was actually still in medical school. So she was in medical school before she even became a resident, and I remember asking her to make me some breakfast in the morning. And she looked at me for a couple of seconds and she took my hand, she took me to the kitchen. She was like, look, mommy's tired, okay? Mommy's in med school and mommy wants you to be well-fed, but mommy can't wake up at 6 a.m. to make you breakfast every single day. So here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna climb on this chair, you're gonna reach up into that cabinet, get a bowl of cereal. You're gonna pull a bowl down here, you're gonna put the cereal in the bowl. Then you're gonna go to the refrigerator. You're gonna open the milk. 
You're gonna put some of the milk into the cereal, but not too much because you don't want it to be too soggy. You're gonna put the milk away. You're gonna get a spoon. You're gonna eat the cereal. When you're finished eating the cereal, you're gonna take your bowl, take it over to the sink, wash out your bowl. The next time you're hungry, you don't have to wake up mommy. Now you know how to solve your own problem. And I remember at the time being like, why can't she just make me food? Like everybody else's mom makes them food. Why can't my mom just make me food too at 6 a.m.? But I am so thankful for that lesson because I have taken it with me for the entirety of my life. And it I can truly say that learning how to solve my own problems and how to jump into action has really gotten me to where I am today. If there's a problem in your life, or we've talked about you know being honest and radically accepting, you can radically accept your situation and find joy. But if there is something in your life that you want to change, you have the power to change it. You don't have to continue working at a job that you don't want to work. You don't have to stay. You have options. You got options. I'm serious though. Like for some reason, we trick ourselves into thinking that we are not the authors of our own story and we don't have the power to change things. If you don't like the way your body looks, you can choose to make healthier choices. You can eat better. You can work out. And this isn't about being a particular size. I think you know, the messages that we send people, particularly women, about what our bodies need to look like and how skinny, how fit, how thick we need to be are all extremely problematic. But it is important, I think, to love ourselves inside and outside. Our bodies are are our temples and you can be the best version of yourself, whatever that means for your body type, and that's within your control. Obviously, there are privilege issues attached. It's a lot cheaper to go to McDonald's and buy a Big Mac or something off the dollar mail than it is to go to Whole Foods and spend a whole bunch of money on a salad and avocado toast. And that's a problem. Access is a problem. But there are certain things you can do for free, like run. It does not cost you no money to go outside and run. You don't need a gym membership. You can run in place if you want to. My grandma, she's uh, been struggling with her health a little bit, my mom's mom, and she surely does sit downstairs watching her soap operas, running in place, trying to be healthy. Does not require any type of treadmill, any type of any type of equipment. You, You can do that. And so when we accept the fact that we are in the situation we're in, but we are not in denial about the fact that there are things we can do to change our situation, that is when you really find and lean into the process of walking in purpose, being your best self, and that's where joy comes from. It's not even from the outcome, I promise you. I had a friend tell me the other day that they were reading some book and there was a statistic about how If you achieve something great, even if it's something like achieving a Grammy, that high will last at the most 10 years. At the most 10 years. For most of us, the high only lasts a couple days, right? We, you know, graduate from college and we've been working so hard to graduate and we walk across that stage and we feel good and we take pictures and we post about it. And the next morning, what does everybody ask you? 
So what's next? We're already on to the next thing. That big achievement, that thing we thought was gonna make us happy actually didn't make us that happy. And when it did, it was only for a couple of seconds. You know why? Because achievements are not a building block to joy. It comes from being radically honest, from radically accepting where you are, and for from taking radical action to change your situation. I have another story. I'm talking a lot about my family today. Um, I love y'all. You know I love y'all, but I love telling your stories as well. When my brother started first grade, kindergarten or first grade? It was first grade. I remember we had just moved to Atlanta and his teacher's name was Mrs. Frost, putting everybody's business out there today. When my brother started first grade, he was having trouble reading. You know, a lot of the other kids in the school district we moved to in Atlanta, Buckhead, Atlanta, it was a very rich district and a lot of them had parents and nannies who had been teaching them to read from a very early age. And when I was learning how to read, my mom was in medical school and she had a little bit of time in her schedule to teach me. But, you know, my brother was born two years after I was. And by the time he was in first grade, she was actually a resident. So got the timeline straight. She was a resident. She didn't have the same amount of time to pour into them, to pour into him when it came to like reading. My dad was really consistent about like being there for us and just the best dad ever in the world. I don't have enough great things to say about him. Uh, But my mom was really busy at that time. And she spent a lot of time with us. You know, she was kind of the person who did a lot of like math and reading workbooks for us. And my dad was like more like the fun, cool dad. Sorry, mom. Love you. That's why I read so well. (laughs) And he started first grade and his teacher, you know, told my mom and my dad, I think you're your son needs to go back to kindergarten because he doesn't know how to read well yet. And my mom was like, hold up, come again. And she was like, he needs to go back to kindergarten. You know, he just can't keep up with the other kids. He's not as smart. And she kind of explained to my my parents where he was, where his reading level was, where the other kids were. So my mom took some time off and she taught him how to read that week. Like, and my brother is intelligent by the way, extremely intelligent if you don't know him. He's extremely intelligent and he learned within the week. He just needed someone to sit down and spend that time with him. By the end of that year, he had more accelerated reader points than anybody in his class, AR. That was like the test that we took back then to see like what our reading levels were. And we got certain points for reading books and you got more points for reading books of a higher caliber. So we had more points than any other person in his class. By the time he graduated elementary school, he had more accelerated reader points than anybody in the school had ever had at that level. My mom can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he like broke some crazy record. And mind you, a few years back, they had told him that he wasn't smart enough to stay in the first grade and he needed to go back to kindergarten. Now, my brother is a doctor at Columbia University. And I think so often we, not even just as children, but 
we discount ourselves from opportunities because when Mrs. Frost comes into our life and tells us that we're not smart enough or that we don't read as well, we might be honest with ourselves and say, okay, I'm behind on my reading level. We might accept the fact that we're behind and accept the fact that our grades might not be as high as everybody else and still find joy in the moment, but we don't take radical action to, to actually change our situation. And so much of finding joy is our active participation in our own lives, like the people who are the happiest with their lives are the ones who are actually living it, we have to be willing to be our own mothers, to sit down with ourselves, to teach ourselves how to read, to pass our accelerated reader test, to accelerate quit more quickly than everybody else in our class, and go on to become doctors at Columbia. It's possible, guys. We can change our situations. And I want you to know that. And I know I've been on this point for a while, but it's so important to me because I feel so passionately about, you know, people who complain, 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 complain about their situations and refuse to admit to themselves that there's anything they can do about it. We have so much power. If you believe, I don't know what you believe spiritually listening to this. If you guys listen, you know that I'm Christian. But if you believe that God exists and you believe that the Holy Spirit is living in you, if you believe that you were created by some higher power and that higher power's image, how much power the person who created the universe created you? Do you know how much power that means that there is inside of you? Do you know what you can do with that power if you apply it? But you have to be honest with yourself. You have to accept the facts and not be afraid of them, not run away from the truth. And you have to be willing to radically change your situation. So again, three steps, radical honesty, radical acceptance, radical action. I really hope that this podcast helps somebody with whatever you're going through. I don't know if you are a person who is just struggling to find joy and meaning in life. You know, there have been a lot of quotes about, you know, what does it mean to really be happy and to really find joy in this life? A lot of people say, you know, it comes from meaning. I personally believe it comes from process and being happy at the process, not waiting until you get to the top of the mountain to be happy. I've said that in the past, not waiting until you're at the bottom and lowest part of your peak to like make a change you can actually find joy in the middle and in the process I fully believe that it has radically changed and transformed my life the way that I live my life the way that I make decisions for the best I want everybody to walk in that that is why I'm recording this episode if you if this has reached you or shaped you or encouraged you in any way, please reach out and let me know that. You guys are so encouraging. It's really nice to know that I'm not just sitting here talking to myself, which I love doing, so I might do anyway. Um, Share it with a friend if you think a friend needs it. Thank you so much for listening, and I will be back next week.